I'm not where I want to be, you know, and I'm not where I want to be in yoga, nor am I where I want to be in my abilities as a trial lawyer, nor am I where I want to be in my ability as a husband, as a father, as a person. I I told somebody uh, yesterday, I think, whoever wants to be as good as they're going to get, I can't imagine how boring life would become. Welcome to the Tip of Skills podcast, where we discuss running and growing your law firm. I'm your host, Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of Laring. Today, I am joined by Adam Malone. I'm super excited about this episode. Adam is one of my favorite lawyers in the space. He's literally one of the nicest people I've ever met. We talked about following in his father's footsteps, yoga, life in general. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Adam Malone. I'm here. You are. I'm so excited. Finally, we get to do this. (laughs) I know, I know. Here in New Orleans in the French Quarter. Tell us. Your name again and what your firm, and and then I have some questions for you. I'm Adam Malone with Malone Law, and uh, I'm a medical malpractice lawyer. Happen to be in New Orleans for the Southern Trial Lawyers Association annual meeting. Yeah, you're out of Georgia, Atlanta. Based in Atlanta, but practiced throughout Georgia. Yeah, I went to your office recently, and I have never seen so many awards and things on walls, ever. Well, you got to... Put them somewhere, I guess. <laughs> well, I think you've run out of space. What are you going to do going forward? I, you know, just keep trying to do the best we can do. Your grandfather was a lawyer. So was your father. And by the way, you gave a speech yesterday about your dad, and it actually made me sad I didn't get to meet him. It was such a good speech. Well, thank you very much. He's uh, he's a lot of fun to talk about. So tell us a little bit about about that, what was it like having a grandfather that was a lawyer, then your dad a lawyer, and and then you as well? Did you feel a, a lot of pressure to become a lawyer? No, I never felt pressure. I just somehow always knew that's what I was called to be. And the, the reasons for it changed at different points of my life. My grandfather was a lawyer, but my entire life, until he was 86 years old, he was a judge. He was a state court judge in Darty County, Georgia, which is in the deep south part of Georgia and the southwestern part of the state. So he was always, to me, um, other people referred to him as Judge Malone. And I'm actually named for him. So his name was Rosser Adams Malone. And uh, they called him Rosser, you know, or Judge Malone. And um, I'm Adam. From my earliest memory, uh, I always wanted to be a lawyer. We all have our heroes in life. Mine was always my dad. Those that have had the opportunity to have met my father. He was a giant of a man. At one time, he was six foot five, and he hovered somewhere between 280 and 300 pounds most of my life. As he got older, I think he was six four, so he shrunk an inch, I think, at some point along the way. But he was just a big guy. And some big people physically can be scary, you know, Mm -hmm. to little kids. But he was just sort of always like a gentle giant. But also big like a superhero. He took on tough things in life, not just in his profession, but he was a he was a tough man. Uh, he grew up riding bucking horses and rodeos and uh, hanging out with cowboys. And, you know, I grew up a little bit in pool halls and places maybe where a lot of kids don't go. I grew up really quickly because of some of those experiences. And I shared this last night. I said, you know, if the, there's a lot of things that people can say about my father, but but one thing I think that would can be universally said, he was probably the most authentic person that I have ever known in my life. When you saw him, you know, riding on the back of a bucking horse, or you saw him in the courtroom, or you saw him on the back of a boat trying to drinking a beer, catching a fish, he's the same guy. 
You know, there was really no pretense with him. There was no acting. Um, he just was a what you see is what you get sort of a guy. And there's something really refreshing and comforting, I think, about that. Do you think we're losing that as a society? Primarily due to social media, I would argue. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I can't remember the Gen Z term. Maybe it's not Gen Z, but my son got catfished um, <laughs> uh, recently. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're losing authenticity uh, as a society, especially on social media. We all tend to sort of post the highlights of our life, you know, um, socially. Those moments that we really want to share. I do have some social media friends that seem to share everything. Is that directed towards me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, and I appreciate what you share. To me, and maybe you don't intend it this way, but I, you, it makes me laugh. You have you share <laughs> these moments with your children, and I'm like, oh, I'm laughing. They're such brats. <laughs> I think people need to share the good and the bad of being a parent. Because you like, for me in particular, I kind of idolized it. And then I was like, oh, shit, it's not all like pretty, right? And it's actually like the hardest thing in the world. So I'm like, well, see what it's like, you know? And I mean, they're funny. They are. But we kind of, we're kind of annoyed. I'm like sharing my annoyances with, with, with the world. And sometimes they actually don't let me post stuff. They're like, you can't share that. And I have to respect that, right? Because I don't want to be that parent that even though it's going to disappear in 24 hours, it's like I've taken that away from them. You know, now, am I wrong about this or in Georgia, can you be a judge and practice privately as well? You know, I don't profess to know the rules, but th there are some uh, part time magistrate judges um, who practice part time as practicing lawyers and they also fill in part time as magistrate judges. That's crazy to me. Yeah. That's and, and there might even be some probate uh, that worked that way, too. I'm not real sure. And magistrate court is our is a court of limited jurisdiction. So there there are certain things they you know they can't do. I do know they they sign criminal warrants, um, arrest warrants. Uh, they also handle civil dispossessory cases or evictions and things like that. They handle civil claims less than twenty five thousand dollars. I think it is, and they don't have juries in Georgia at least. If you know, there's a right to appeal from a magistrate judgment, and I think it goes to the superior court. I've never personally filed a case, a civil case, in magistrate court, so I'm not the best person to talk to you about that. Other than I can't answer the question you asked, and I just think it's nuts. I don't think that happens anywhere else. Okay, so in terms of handling med mal cases, do you also do t like your typical single event PI or no, or you're just all med mal? Oh, I do. You know, throughout my career, um, you, you know, we were talking earlier, I'm a licensed private pilot and have been for 35 years. I started when I flying when I was 15, licensed when I was 18. I'm 51, so I have to do the math. So I've handled aviation crash cases, and uh, certainly um, I'm a I'm a trucking lawyer, just like the rest of the trucking lawyers out there. Um, I do catastrophic uh, cases. We handled the courthouse shooting case that you know uh, a lot of younger folks probably don't know about, but um, back in 2005, uh, there was a guy on trial. He escaped from a deputy taking him to court for his second trial, actually for rape. When he escaped, took her gun, shot her, and went in the courtroom and shot the court reporter, the judge, um, another deputy, and then after he escaped the courthouse, a customs agent. 
And uh, we handled that case representing the widow of the Superior Court judge that was killed. So I'm passionate about anything done wrong that needs to be made right. I, I think that maybe I've just developed a reputation in the area of medical malpractice because those cases tended to go to trial today. 100% of my caseload is medical malpractice. The ones but, that you're handling personally. Yeah. And and I handle all the cases in my office. Oh, you do? Yeah. Wow. I have more questions about your dad because I find this fascinating. Uh-huh. Did you feel a lot of pressure to fill his shoes? Because his reputation is like, so is yours, but his reputation is like, I hear about him left and right. It's hard, you know, to uh, not not compare. You know, where am I compared to where he was at the same age? And where, where am I when I when I finished law school compared to where he was, you know? And But things are so different, you know? It, and I shared some of this last night. My grandfather's life compared to the life and the times that my father and his career took him through compared to the life and times that um, exist at the time of my career. They're all different. The challenges are different. But I will tell you this, the year before I ever started law school, that was a defining period of my life where I literally grew up and um, and I was 23 years old. Prior to that time, I measured how I felt about myself by comparing myself to others. And, you know, through a series of a lot of growing up and suffering and, you know, being disappointed and, and that feeling of I don't quite measure up, I, I think I came to a place of being sick and tired of feeling that way. And something happened where I decided that I would compare myself today to the best version of myself I thought I could become. I started asking myself a question that I had never asked myself before at the end of each day. And that was, is there anything that I did today that I could have done better? I really started to break life down into very small increments of time, sometimes one moment to the next, but really ultimately measuring it just in 24-hour periods. You know, what is in front of me right now? What do I need to do um, to do the next thing right and to do it to the best of my ability? And then after practicing that for a period of time, I look back and I've been pretty impressed pretty impressed with what I have been able to accomplish, not so I can beat my chest, but just kind of like, who would have thought, you know, that just sort of paying attention to what I'm doing in the moment, you know, and trying my best in that moment could could lead to, you know, a life of this kind of su- success. I appreciate you saying all this because I think very few lawyers, specifically very few lawyers that have the reputation that you have are and I think it's happening more now that are coming out and talking about these things openly because I think it can be very um, inspiring to a, a young lawyer to hear you say this and for them to think, well, if Adam went through this, then it's normal that I go through this. Because I think this is just part of like the human experience, right? Like the imposter syndrome, the comparing to others. And you are right. At the end of the day, all we can do is be a better version of ourselves. Like, we're never going to be someone else. Like, we are who we are, right? And that's why I find fascinating whenever somebody is very successful at what they do, but their parent was also very successful in the same thing because it's, I feel like, a in one way, you can think of it like, oh, well, they were so privileged, right? Like, like you said, like, we stand on the shoulders of our, what did you say yesterday? Yeah. yeah. 
in one sense, I could see that, right? And people could think, oh, well, you know, he had a leg up in life, right? But on the other hand, I think that that is a double-edged sword because it's so much pressure from such a young age. The challenges are just different. I suck pretty bad at being Tommy Malone. I'm not him. I'm not six foot four and 280, 300 pounds. And when I stand up, it doesn't make every head in the room turn because I'm so imposing. And I'm so grateful that at an early age, now that I look back, it didn't feel I was that young when it was happening. But when I was 23, I became okay with just being me and landing wherever the best version of, of me was supposed to land. That's okay, too. And how did you accomplish that? Because at 23, that's actually very young to... Like, look at yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, I'm okay with who I am. That's a young age, in my opinion. Well, I had failed so miserably um, at trying to be somebody else, you know, trying to fit into um, what I thought I was supposed to be, you know, uh, that it just didn't work out for me. You're always posting your little heads, handstands or headstands. I don't know what you call them, but you practice yoga, right? And I, I want to hear about how you got into it and how that has helped you. Like, is there a connection between your mindfulness now and uh, yoga or not at all? So, you know, throughout my life, I, I feel like I've been somewhat athletic. I grew up playing baseball, basketball, football. I ended up graduating from military college. After that, I got into boxing, and then I was a Muay Thai kickboxer, and then I did um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and then I was doing some MMA fighting. And I tore my calf working with my trainer, kicking bags, and that took me out for about six months. But during that time, um, I discovered CrossFit, you know, and then I got into the whole subculture of CrossFit. And, <laughs> uh, and then I started uh, running. And I, I, I formerly hated running, especially long distance. But the martial arts and the boxing, um, in order to be able to breathe in the ring and survive, you know, from one round to the next, um, I had to develop some sort of conditioning training. And running was part of that. So it was jumping rope, a lot of body weight exercises. In my 30s, I got into the best shape of my life, you know, training to be able to you know, have a good time in the ring. And then I injured myself, you know, and so that took me in a different direction. And then ultimately I, I ran one ultra marathon. It was only a, uh, a 50 K, which is only, I would, well, it's further I would than a marathon, lost. you know, but they, they're in that world, you know, that's, that's sort of the starting point. Somebody had asked me from the Fulton County daily report, interviewed me about Muay Thai kickboxing and comparing that type of pugilistic ring sport to the courtroom sport, you know, the adversarial system that we have in the courtroom. You know, it occurred to me that there were a lot of similarities uh, between martial arts and courtroom life. And at a certain level, everybody's good. You know, in the practice area of medical malpractice, there aren't any really bad medical negligence defense lawyers that don't know what they're doing. They're all very good which makes those already challenging cases even more challenging. It reminded me very much of the level I had gotten to with Muay Thai uh, kickboxing, that the people I was competing with um, were all very good. My perspective on that martial art in particular, but really all of them, changed once I got into it. At first, I thought, oh, this is just a brutal sport where one person's out to tear the head off the other person, and it's bloody, and it's all this gruesomeness. It's a very cerebral sport. It is a, a mental game. 
um, on many different levels. It's a mental game with yourself. You know, can you push through? Can you keep going? Can you make it to the end of the round? Can you conserve your energy so that you can keep breathing? Can you avoid getting hit, you know, by the other person? And it occurred to me that at a certain level, both in the ring and in the courtroom, everybody is good. And the person that loses is really the first person to make a mistake. You know, to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, to try and over um, exert themselves or over try your case. He or she who loses the credibility in the ring, it loses. He or she who loses credibility in the courtroom loses. I don't care how good the facts or law are on your side. If you lose credibility, it is virtually impossible to regain it and win. So I hadn't gotten to yoga yet, you know, but the older that I've gotten, the less I want to try and intentionally put myself in a position where somebody is trying to hurt me physically. <laughs> and I really don't want to be hurt. I want to be able to continue to get up and, and do my job every day, but I want to take care of myself physically because that takes care of me mentally, emotionally. It helps spiritually. It helps everything. It helps, you know, as part of the balance, right? But throughout this period of my life, I sort of bounced in and out of yoga studios um, the first time in the early 2000s with a Bikram hot yoga. And at the time, you have to remember, this was early 2000s, so probably around the time you were born. Oh, that's so sweet. I wish. <laughs> um, I thought that only women did yoga at the time. And so I had heard that a lawyer, older lawyer that I respected had gone to a Bikram hot yoga. And I'm like, well, if he can go, you know, maybe I can sneak in and, do, and, and it'll be easy because this is what girls do. Oh, know? wow. <laughs> and, and, and so I went and it was 90 minutes and 105 degrees. And I couldn't even get through it. And and then the, for like a, two weeks, I was sore all over my body. I need but to I, go try this. I was scared to tell anybody that I had gone, you know. So I didn't want anybody to know that I went and I didn't want to tell anybody that See, I See, I would have posted on social media. <laughs> we didn't have social media. <laughs> no, I'm then. saying if that happened to me right. now because I overshare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of got me interested, right? And so. Because it was a challenge. It was very challenging. You liked the challenge. But I also really liked the way I felt when I when I left. I hated it while I was doing it. Um, but when it was over, like almost immediately, I just felt exhilarated. Um, I felt cleansed. I felt um, energetic. I felt, like I'd, I felt like I had just done something really healthy for myself. Mm. And so over the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I would pop in and out of yoga hot yoga studios two or three four times a year maybe even all throughout the martial arts stuff and um crossfit but it was in november of 2022 um i was invited to join a group of my friends that um that relationships i developed through the spence trial lawyers college um, and went to Nosara, Costa Rica. And I had sort of fallen out of a regular routine of taking care of myself physically. I'd gotten fat, and uh, I feel like I was fat. I didn't feel good. I wasn't comfortable in the clothes that I wore. A few weeks before I turned 50. Okay. And so when I left to go, I felt like I always do. You know, I'm out of breath. I, I can barely keep up. I'm grateful for the, the work that we get to do, but I, I put so much of myself in, into it that I'm never caught up and I just don't make time to breathe. 
And I felt like I only breathed from here to here, you know, from my mouth to the to the top of my throat. And I'd never really take a full breath. And I woke up late the next morning that I'm supposed to be going to the airport to get on the plane. And I'm like, well, this is a sign. I'm not supposed to go. I don't have time for this <laughs> shit, you know, and I don't need to be going to Costa Rica, you know, to hang out in the jungle and surf, you know, in the ocean. But I had committed to go. Like I'd been invited to go three Four time, four years prior to that, and every time planned to go, and then just canceled because I'm busy. So, long story short, you know, the whole way to the airport, the whole way on the airplane, I'm I'm, I'm doubting myself. I'm saying, what am I doing? I land, and I'm like, oh my god, it's going to be a three hour ride from the airport to the place we're supposed to get to, and I well, I don't have time for this, you know. So anyway, I I push through, I get there. And we all circle up when we meet in a yoga shala, and Tyson says, "You know, let's set an intention for the week." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into this. I'm here. I'm gonna be present." So we go around and we share a little bit about what's going on, WGO. What's going on with me? You know, with you. And I shared that thing about I feel like I'm just out of breath. So what's my intention? I want to breathe. I want to learn how to breathe in this week that I'm going to be here. I want to learn how to breathe. And I really focused on that. And And what I did during that week was I did yoga every day and I surfed. And we met and we worked on our cases and we became better people. We became better lawyers, uh, helping each other. But those are the two things I did consistently every day. Have you read the book Breath? No, but it's on my list. He's big on expanders for kids, like expanding their jaw. So we did that for for our boys, not for our daughter just yet. We tried and it didn't work. Um, she wanted it out, so we took it out. But yeah, it's on my list too. I want to read it. So I came back and um, uh, by accident discovered a form of yoga I'd never, I had heard of it, but didn't remember that I'd heard of it. And um so I didn't know anything about it. What's it's it called? called? Ashtanga yoga. Ashtanga. So what's the? Which is really, the, to, in my view and opinion, the original yoga, and from it, all forms of modern yoga have sprung. That there would be some some who would differ with what I just said, but really, it all comes from Krishnamacharya, uh, who who taught three or four different really important people in the world of yoga, and Ashtanga. Um, uh, uh, was developed by a man uh, uh, from India named Patabi Joyce, who, um, you know, died in the, um, I don't know for sure when he died, but in the late 1900s or early 2000s. And so his grandson now is is the person uh, who runs the uh, Ashtanga Yoga Institute. I think I got that right. Uh, in Mysore, India. And so I'm, you know, that is the style of yoga that I, that I am practicing, but I still enjoy like going with Haley to hot yoga studios and uh, hot yoga vinyasa um, to yin, which is uh, slow, meditative. Have you done kundalini? I've done, yes. And how was it? I'm scared to do it. Uh, um, it's interesting. It, it's fascinating. <laughs> it, it's interesting. It's also fascinating. And it's another thing I want to learn about. And I just like, you know, went, I'm going to get to it. How did doing yoga impact you 
like aside from like that the physical health benefits of like getting in shape and i feel like anytime it all becomes like part of an identity no like you start working out you eat healthier you go to sleep earlier like i feel like one habit kind of kicks others aside from that aspect of it how did it help you um be a better lawyer or a better father or husband or more mindful how did did it impact you at all well, you could you should ask my wife Haley because she oh, well, would, she, she would can pro- come sit down and <laughs> no, you don't want to do it. <laughs> she she's here live. She watching. would she would give you the unvarnished truth about whether yoga has actually helped me at all. But you know, from my from my standpoint, I think she was. I mean, there there's some there's some things that are pretty immediately obvious. One is I do go to sleep much earlier because I practice yoga. I get up at five fifteen. And I practice at six a.m. How many days a week do you practice? I try to. I try five to six days a week. It works out more to like four to five. For how long? So it. I'm. I'm half primary series uh, up through a, a, a asana or a pose called Bujapadasana, which is just after the end of the half primary. And I, we can do a whole nother podcast on what I'm talking about. But it takes me about an hour and twenty five minutes to get to that point. And are, is it meditative at all or no? Yes. I mean, that, this is what I love about Ashtanga is it is a combination of three things, breath, movement, um, and focus with where you place your eyes. And so it is an hour and 20 to 30 minutes every day of a moving meditation. I also try to do the sitting meditation and breath work uh, too. Um, so, but but the... The, the Ashtanga part of it that, that 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 includes the yoga poses is an hour and a half of uh, moving meditation combined with breath work. I'm going to look this up. So here's the thing that I thought that I wouldn't like about Ashtanga. It's a, it's a series of poses, series of asanas in the exact same order, you know, every time. And I thought, well, that will be extremely boring, it you know, because boring, yeah. up to that point in time, one of the things I really enjoyed most about yoga was just going to the yoga studio and not having to think about anything and have the yoga teacher say, now do this, you know, make this shape with your body or make that shape. And I really wouldn't know what they're talking about. So I'd have to look around in the room to figure out what am I spo- what shape am I supposed to put my body in? And it wouldn't go, you know, <laughs> but I'd try. With Ashtanga, you learn the sequence. And what I find is when I go to a shala or a studio, I like the energy, but because I'm, I'm so into, and everybody in the room is so into moving through the process, you don't notice the people next to you or even in front, or that might be in front of you. I, I don't notice what they're doing or where they are in the sequence. Um, but you do draw on the energy, and the the instructor in the room is there to help assist with adjustments for alignment, and even to give you some pointers about how to get into a certain posture, which is extremely helpful, and how to get into it safely. But you practice alone as well, right? So in Ashtanga, I can take with me everywhere. I brought my yoga mat with me. I can do it in my room. I can go out to the park. Haley would say that, that that's that's what I want to do so I can get attention, but I, I feel <laughs> I feel a little self conscious, you know. Um, really, you post about it all the time, and you you're like up in the air, like. Yeah, well, that's different posting on social media because I can pick the picture that I want to post. I, yeah. <laughs> so so. so. A- Adam Malone is still self conscious. 
Yeah. See, can, it's I normal, guys. I can be self-conscious. It's normal. Because I'm not where I want to be, you know, and I'm not where I want to be in yoga, nor am I where I want to be in, in my abilities as a trial lawyer, nor am I where I want to be in my in my ability as a husband, as a father, um, you know, as a person. I, I told somebody uh, yesterday, I think, whoever wants to be as good as they're going to get, I can't imagine how boring life would become if I got to some destination and I just said, okay, I've achieved it, whatever it is. And I just stopped trying to improve. That doesn't sound very human in my opinion. I think we're here to be able to grow. I do too. Personally, some people might disagree with me, but. I think some people do pursue a destination. And once they get there, they're, they're very disappointed. That's the problem. <laughs> it's just not part of the human condition to be like, oh, let me do this and then I'm good. That it doesn't work that way. All right. Well, is there anything else that you want to share or talk about? Oh, I'd share anything you ask me, but this is probably enough for your listeners. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was great. I really, I know you're so busy and you're like ready to go, but I, I really appreciate you. Well, I'm happy time. to be here. And thank you so much for all you do for all of us. And um, you and your company are fantastic to work with. And thank you. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much to Adam for everything he shared with us today. If you found this story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show.